We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11 this morning and starting in verse 8. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to follow along or the verses should be on the screen behind me as well. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 8. And here the writer of Hebrews says this, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have the, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Would you join me in prayer as we continue? Father God, thank you for who you are, that you love us, that you wanted to be with us so much that you sent your own son to live, to come to earth and live among us, to make yourself known to us. Father, we're grateful that your son, Jesus, gives us the clearest picture of who you are. And that if we want to see who you are, we look at his life. Father, thank you for the hope that we have in him. Thank you for um, being merciful to us um, amidst our faults and our, fa- our, our failures. Father, we ask that you take this text that we have just read and that we just listened to and that you would translate the words that we just heard into the everyday details of our life, that they wouldn't just be words on a page that occurred hundreds of years ago, but by the power of your spirit, they would touch um, our life and where they need to impact us today. Father, thank you for who you are and what you do. It's by the power of your spirit and through your son, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. As many of you know, our families don't live here nearby. Mine lives in Ohio and Julia's lives in Illinois. And many of you, I know, have just gone traveling for this last week or maybe even over the last couple of months, you've taken a long trip. And if you're like me, you know after a long trip, when you get home, you have that feeling of, I'm home. Not that everything's great at home, but you know that you're home because you're used to that space. You're back to your normal surroundings. Your kitchen, not someone else's kitchen. Your bathroom, not someone else's bathroom. Your bed, specifically, not someone else's bed. Your living room, your normal routine, your amenities, all the things you think are normal. We feel this way in other areas of life as well. If you've ever traveled internationally, you know the feeling of relief when you get back to the culture of the United States. You get to return to the normal language that you're used to. You don't have to go through the, now how do I say that again? Or do I know where I'm going and figuring out the language to be able to get there? 
You get to return to normal customs. I remember when I went to Japan and then came back, you had to get used to, oh, I don't have to bow before every person I see. Like you get, you're like, oh, I don't have to do that again here. You return to normal business. I remember when I was in Honduras, you had to barter for buying things. Whereas here, it's like, well, that's a, the price is the price. There's no bartering. There's no like, I don't know what to do to buy this thing. I got to return to an, a normal practice. And if you're someone who's not a fan of formal events, you know the feeling of relief when you get to put on your normal comfy clothes after that event. Because being dressed up is just not your thing. That's not normal for you. We can all likely think of scenarios where we feel more at home because we are in an environment that is normal to us. Where the habits are normal for us. Where the way of life is normal for us. In our passage from Hebrews today, this very reality is mentioned. The writer of Hebrews describes how the patriarch of the Jewish and Christian faith, Abraham, was longing for the home that God promised him. The writer describes how Abraham spent the latter part of his life unsettled, without a permanent home. Hebrews 11 verse 9 describes Abraham as a nomadic stranger in a foreign country. What we encounter in this passage in Hebrews is that home for one of God's people isn't located in a place on earth as it is right now. Nor is it located in the normal ways or patterns of life that we encounter on earth right now. Rather, home for a follower of Jesus is located in the person and way of life of Jesus Christ. God's word is inviting you and me to make our home on the eternal foundation of Jesus. God's word is inviting you and me to make our home on the eternal foundation of Jesus. One of the topics of conversation in Western New York over the past week or weeks, maybe it's been at this point, has been the listing or the sinking and tilting of the ship in the naval harbor or the naval park downtown, the USS Sullivan's. If you've You've probably likely seen a picture or something on the news at this point, or maybe you've actually gone down there to see it firsthand, where the boat has taken on water and is leaning toward the dock where it is moored. The ship is in the condition it's in because the environment around it has deteriorated the old hull of the ship. And from what I've gathered, the ultimate ideal situation for preserving a ship like that would be for it to not be in the water at all. A new environment would give it the best chance at its history being preserved. As the ship is right now sinking and tilting to one side, we would think it odd to keep it as it is, right? I mean, that's been the whole discussion. Well, it can't stay how it is. But we would think it odd and probably even dangerous to keep the naval park functioning and having people tour through a ship that is sinking and tilting to one side. Yet this image depicts a similarity to how we are tempted to view life on earth right now. We're tempted to think that our normal, which isn't really normal, is normal. We've all been born into a world that is suffering from decay. This decay began before our existence. We get a glimpse of that decay beginning when humanity separated itself from God, and we can see that in Genesis chapter 3 in the Bible. And we see it continuing in our life today. We see the decay that results from our separation from God, the decay of earthly matter, the decay of our own bodies, the decay of relationships, and the decay of justice and goodness all around us. This same world of decay was present when Abraham was called by God to leave his homeland. 
In verse 8 of Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews describes God's call of Abraham to leave his homeland and go to a place that he would later inherit. Abraham leaves his home, his sense of normal, in faith that he would receive the promised home that God had for him. But what is interesting about Abraham's story is that once he makes his home in the promised land, it says that he doesn't appear as if he's home. In verse 9 of Hebrews 11, Abraham is described by the writer of Hebrews as living as a stranger in this new land that he's been given. Abraham lived in the promised land as if it were a foreign country and not his permanent home. What is going on here? Abraham is literally living in the land God promised to him, and he doesn't act like it's his home. Rather, he considers himself a resident immigrant instead. What prompted Abraham to live like a stranger and foreigner in what should feel like his home? The reason, says the writer of Hebrews, is that Abraham wasn't looking for a better earthly life compared to the life from which God called him from in Haran, where his father and the rest of his family lived. Abraham wasn't looking to inherit a better earthly city or country or earthly way of life. Abraham was looking to inherit a heavenly home, a heavenly way of life. Abraham was looking to inherit a home with the very presence of God. But, as you all know and as I know, heaven has not yet come to earth. We see that each and every day of our life. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4, says this. This is the, the Apostle John writing in the vision that he has. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order or way of things has passed away. God had indeed greatly blessed Abraham. God had protected him in many ways. God gave him an inconceivable son at an old age. He gave him wealth and blessing from other nations when he didn't deserve it. God gave him and his descendants a fertile land far better than many other lands. God even mysteriously appears to Abraham via angelic agents. But with all these blessings, the decay and impact of sin, the impact of humanity's separation from God still remained. Heaven was indeed a far-off reality on earth in Abraham's day, and it still is in our day. While it was a blessing during the early parts of COVID and, and even now for some people who still aren't able to be out or have to work on Sundays or whatever it may be, it has been a blessing that our worship gatherings or services have been able to be online. The downside to that method is that it more loudly communicates, I think, another message. While online worship services can help people stay connected if they do miss a Sunday, like I mentioned, Online worship services can also communicate that corporate worship can happen by myself when I want to make it happen. It can communicate that what is really important is just consuming a worship service rather than coming to be an active part of 
what we're doing right now. And I'm not just talking about the leading of the service, but the welcoming, the singing, the praying, and hearing God's good news proclaimed over us, and communing with God together. You see, the medium is the message in this case. Maybe you've heard that term before. The medium is the message. Another example of this is like if I were to tell my son, I love you. I'm saying the words love, but the medium I'm saying that in is communicating something very different. I think that's similar to what's happening with something like online worship. Like the medium is, it can communicate something good, but the medium is actually communicating something more. You see, the medium in, uh, is the message in this case. The medium is the worship service online. But the message that can ring louder than the songs or the sermons is that the message is that worship can happen by oneself at home. That I don't need to come, I don't have to get myself out of bed. I don't have to make a priority to be here. I don't have to interact with other people. I can do my relationship with God when I want, where I want, and I don't need other people to do it. I'm not saying that's everybody's situation or everybody's perspective of it, but I think after we become shaped by that more and more and more, we tend to start believing it. And so that's one danger that can come out of something like that. But the medium is the message. The the writing of Hebrews conveys something similar to this about the heavenly city that Abraham longs for in its comparison to Jesus. The writer says that Abraham is longing for a heavenly city. But what we encounter in the broader message of the writing of Hebrews is that the essence or medium of this heavenly city for which Abraham longs for is Jesus himself. See, if you're looking for an earthly city or something like an earthly way, you're going to miss Jesus in the process of what the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate to us. Hebrews 12 verse 22 says, and this is a couple of chapter or a chapter after what we just read earlier. Hebrews 12:22 says, "But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. Who is the living God? It's Jesus, the one we just celebrated who resurrected to life last week. The city that we're longing for, the city that Abraham was looking for, is life in God's presence. It's life with Jesus. Jesus is the heavenly city, the heavenly country, the heavenly way of life that Abraham longs for. Jesus and his way of life is what heaven on earth looks like. Every time a new president of the United States is elected in November, there is always this awkward period between the election in November and the inauguration day in January. Because in one sense, the former president or still president is still active and doing things, but there's also a new president or soon to be president and he is starting to do things. So it's just like weird, like who, what's, who, what's the reality right now? This is similar to where we find ourselves in relation to the coming of heaven on earth in its entirety. The reality is that we live in the not yet period of heaven on earth. We still live in a world impacted by humanity's separation from God, but we also live in the period where heaven on earth has been revealed in Jesus and his life. Through the life of the resurrected Jesus, we see what heaven on earth will be like. We can see it. We have access to it. 
But his heavenly city, his heavenly way of life has not fully been implemented on earth yet. And we see that even in our own life. We see glimpses of his life take shape in our life, but not to its fullest extent. This heavenly reality is reality. It will happen. It has been started. It has just not taken over the whole world yet. That will happen once Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead and fully reunite humanity to right relationship with him. Maybe you've seen the movie Moneyball. It's the story, it's, it's a movie that tells the story of baseball manager Billy Bean of the Oakland Athletics baseball team. And Bean is known for adopting a team building culture based on player stats. Uh, think fantasy sports. It's kind of like what it's, it is kind of like. Um, and he, he tried to build a team based on like, well, this player can get on base so many times, even though he can't hit very often, like meaning he, he walks a lot basically. And to most baseball scouts, it's like, well, if he can't hit it, why is he on the team? And Bean's like, well, he gets on base. And if you've seen the movie, you see that there's this clash of cultures in the movie where Bean is trying to get this culture of, no, we need these stats on our team. And, and even the on-field manager's like, what are you doing? Like, this is not how you build a baseball team. The players are all mad at him. Even the media and the fans are mad at him. And yet he sticks with it all throughout it. For most of the movie, Bean is a foreigner in the world of Major League Baseball. The way of winning baseball that Bean was looking to institute was foreign to the rest of the league. The rest of the league couldn't see what Bean and his uh, stat assistant could see. And the same is true of Abraham's life in our passage in Hebrews. The world around Abraham continued the life as it, ha- as it had since humanity separated from God in the Garden of Eden. But by God's grace, Abraham was given a glimpse of a better life. Not just a better life in a sinful world, but a better life where sin is no longer part of the world in which he lived. For Abraham longed for a city, a way of life where heaven met earth and God's way is the way of life. Now, the writer of Hebrews acknowledges that Abraham did not fully realize what all this better life would be like. He just knew that God promised a better life to him and through his descendants, of which Jesus eventually comes. Jesus is where all of this comes together. But it's by faith that Abraham longed for a better life, a life better than what had become normal in a sinful world. It's by faith that Abraham did not settle for life to remain separated from God. It's by faith that Abraham lived as a stranger and foreigner, longing for a way of life better than the normal, sinful world that surrounded him. This is the same reality that we find ourselves in today as followers of Jesus. Through the writing of Hebrews, we are invited to make our home on the eternal foundation of Jesus, just like Abraham did. We're invited to live as strangers and foreigners in our day as well. We're invited to not settle for the normal of the sinful world around us. Rather, we're invited to long for heaven on earth. We're invited to live as strangers and foreigners. Our lives are not to be about the things of a world separated from God and what they care about. Our lives are not to be about pride or selfishness or violence or deception. Our lives are to be about the things of Jesus The way of life of God's city, God's country, God's kingdom. The way of life that Jesus lived and calls us to follow his example in. If we are followers of Jesus and seeking Jesus as our ultimate home, 
then our approach to life will indeed be strange and foreign to the world around us. Our jobs and careers will look strange and foreign to the world around us. Jobs that accommodate the activities of God's kingdom and not just a pay raise or a climb the ladder in the corporate world. Our pursuit of education and exploration of the world will look strange and foreign. We will pursue an education that will help make us the good people that God wants us to be and to see the world good as God created it. The way we raise and engage our families will look strange and foreign. Families that make worship of Jesus a priority. Families that set aside time on Sunday to get their family here to worship and to encounter Jesus and his good news instead of doing whatever everyone else in the world does. Parenting with the loving and attentive character of Jesus behind it. Or the use of our time in our homes and our possessions will look strange and foreign. Spending our time serving Jesus, spending time with our kids not who aren't our own, like a couple of people are doing down here with the little kids on this end of the building or spending time with older kids like someone else is doing down on this end of the building or spending time with teenagers, not their own, which some adults will do tonight with youth group or spending time with elderly and widows who are not your own parents or grandparents. These are some of the strange things that followers of Jesus will do in a world where that is not normal. Or maybe it's spending our time to bless others who can't pay us back. Or maybe blessing those who maybe don't even like us. Talk about strange and foreign. Our relationship with others will be strange and foreign, where we bear with one another, forgive one another, bless one another in times of need. Again, some strange and foreign things to the world around us. Our life will indeed be strange and foreign if we're not looking to make our home in a world separated from God. Our life will indeed be strange and foreign when we make our home with Jesus and live as he does. Where we seek to serve, love, forgive, have mercy, and have compassion. Because the goodness of Jesus' life is what we long for. The goodness of Jesus' life is where we find our ultimate home. If you're wanting to switch from building a home in a world separated from God to a home with the eternal foundation of Jesus, then I invite you to begin that journey by placing your faith in Jesus in baptism, dying to the ways of the sinful world and rising to live in the life of Jesus. And if you've already made that switch, I invite you to renew your faith in longing for a home built on the eternal foundation of Jesus. For many of us, we intellectually know that that's where we want our home to be. But the world around us tempts and tempts and tempts us to think, well, maybe life here now is better than longing for that. But I invite you to renew your faith, just like Abraham had faith that it eventually was going to come. Renew your faith and longing for a home built on the eternal foundation of Jesus. Like Abraham of old, you're also invited by God to make your home on the eternal foundation of Jesus. Will you make your home on the eternal foundation of Jesus? We join me in prayer as we close. Father God, thank you for who your son is. That he came and lived among us and I'm sure for, for him having left the heavenly realm that he left, Living here indeed was strange and foreign. But Father, he was a signpost to us of what true life is. We're grateful that he came to show us what true life is. And that you have invited us to participate in your heavenly life in and through him. Father, show us where our priorities are off 
and where they are longing for things that are of lesser value. And help us have faith to long for the heavenly home that you want to give to us. Father, help us, Father, help us to lean into that way of life and to follow in your son's footsteps. It's by the power of your spirit and through your son Jesus that we pray this. Amen.